The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. I love that intro. And this is the last time you'll be seeing it, though. So this is the fourth and final week of our Habit series, and if you have Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We're going to be uh, in a few places today, but mainly uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 10. My name's Eric. I'm the lead teaching pastor here, uh, and I'm so thankful that you're able uh, to join us uh, for the last week of this series because it may be one of the most important ones. It's a, a Super Sunday, but not Super Bowl Sunday. That's next week. How many of you are ready for the Super Bowl? All right. I know we're not a football town. We're, I mean, we're, we're Cardinal Nation. We bleed blue. Uh, but are there any Chiefs fans in the house? Okay, like five or six of you. I think, I think Kansas City starts to bleed over when the Rams left. And, and the bandwagon is big enough. So go ahead and uh, jump on and, and cheer for the Chiefs if you'd like. That's, that's no problem. Any Tom Brady fans in here? Okay, a couple of the girls. Yeah. Yeah. We love Tom Brady. Listen, uh, anyone ha- uh, planning on having a Super Bowl party? I just want to know my options. Anyone having a Super Bowl party? Yeah, we're in St. Louis. We don't have Super Bowl. Okay, there's one there. Everyone uh, go to Grady's house, right? Grady's having a Super Bowl party. Uh, you, you know, it's funny. Uh, before the quarantine mandate, uh, the, the uh, churches and, and people would, would get together and have like Super Bowl parties, and they would call them uh, Super Bowl fellowships. Everyone say Fellowship. If you don't know what fellowship is, that's a, that's a church word that we use for party. And, and, and listen, if you have a fellowship, uh, there's, there's particular things that are involved in every uh, church fellowship. Uh, one uh, is that it's a potluck. And so if you become a partner or a member at a church, it's almost like they give you a commemorative uh, uh, crock pot so that when you come to the fellowships, you get to bring the crock pot full of something. It doesn't have to be good. And, and you don't even need to know what is in it. Uh, but you do, you do have to bring it to every fellowship. And the second thing that happens at every fellowship is that it happens in the fellowship hall. All right? And if you don't know what the fellowship hall is, that's the room in the church that has the kitchen. Uh, okay, so if you're looking around, hey, where's the fellowship hall? Just, just find the kitchen, and that's, and, that's, and that's where it is. And so if you didn't grow up in church, uh, we, have, we have developed this word fellowship as it pertains to really uh, parties. And somewhere along the line, uh, the term fellowship has become very soft and, and almost, almost unbiblical when we use the word in the church. And so I just want to remind you that the New Testament was translated uh, from Greek, and the original Greek word for fellowship is called koinonia. Everyone say koinonia. koinonia. Yeah, show me the money, right? I don't know why I think of that when I think of koinonia. It's, it's a term that actually uh, means commonality or better defined as a unified partnership. Everyone say partnership. So when, when you see this word fellowship or when you understand a koinonia, it's not just simply a wings and pizza and potlucks. Really, it's a unified partnership that goes beyond just simply a nice church get together. And, and so true fellowship really is less like friends gathered for a Super Bowl party. And actually, it's more like what you see Uh, on the screen when the players in their blood, sweat, and tears gather in a huddle deciding what it looks like to run the next play against the opposition. And so if you're thinking fellowship at your Super Bowl party, think of what the team is doing on the field. 
They're unified. They're partnering together. They're fighting a good fight. They're trying to win the battle, and they're working together to do it. And, and, and it's a shame that the word fellowship has really died a death of domestication uh, in our society, but fellowship is a powerful word in the scriptures. Fellowship is, a, is an electric reality within the New Testament. And listen, fellowship is a main ingredient in your Christian faith. Fellowship is one of God's chief means of grace to help develop our lives into the nature and the person of Jesus Christ. And so we need fellowship. Listen, we don't need more potlucks. We don't need more game nights. We need biblical fellowship. And so the essence of fellowship in the New Testament is rooted in the commonality of the faith that comes in Jesus Christ. And so when we put our faith in Jesus, we are united to the mission of Jesus through his spirit. And these partnerships, this fellowship, are those who are committed to the message of salvation in Jesus. They're partnering together to build up the body and to advance the gospel. I think the one person who got it right was J.R. Tolkien when he named his nine the Fellowship of the Ring. And now, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but listen, uh, there, there's, no, there's no chummy get-together. There's no appetizers. There's no drinks when they gather. Are you with me on that? I mean, they're gathering for a certain purpose. There's no game on the TV, but this is a picture of biblical fellowship. It's an all-in. It's a life or death mission. We are opposing great evil, overwhelming opposition, and we need fellowship. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this one down in your headings. Your spiritual growth depends on how you define fellowship and your participation in it. If you have an unbiblical definition of fellowship, you would say, oh yeah, I'm involved, I go to the party. Oh yeah, I'm involved, I bring the beans to the potluck. Oh yeah, I participate in fellowship because I go to the fellowship hall every once in a while. But listen, your growth depends on your biblical definition of fellowship and, listen to me, your participation in it. It's part of how God uses the body for his purpose to grow us up into Christ-likeness. Have you ever met someone who's just kind of stagnant in their walk with Christ? Just kind of going through the motions. And listen, they, they, they kind of do the right things. They know the right answers to say. They go to church. They maybe pray some prayers. They, they, they do the stuff, but there's really no passion for Jesus. There's really no battle in their life against sin and temptation. There's no real life on mission. Listen, I've seen entire churches like that. Cul-de-sacs for the kingdom. I mean, they're going nowhere. Dead ends, no growth, going nowhere. Listen, the only way that you can and I can experience the real spiritual growth that God has called us into is, listen, when we stop going to church. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, stop going to church. Yeah, you heard it right, right? That's what I'm saying. Stop going to church. Now look at them and say, be the church. There's a, there's a distinct difference between just simply going to church and being the church. Are you tracking with me on that? Because going to church is just simply a, a hobby. It's an entertainment. It's a, it's a fun thing to do. It's a, it's a get-together. But being the church de, uh, demands some partnership. 
Being the church demands submission. Uniting with God's purpose is partnership with the gospel. Let me say that again. Uniting with God's purpose is partnership for the gospel. Uh, uh, Many American churches have made a habit out of just simply going to church. And we think that is a good spiritual discipline. And listen, it is. But it can't stop in just simple attendance. You have to partner together. Join the purpose that God has brought you into the family, has raised you up, filled you with his spirit, and allows you to be a part, by his grace, of a covenant community who is on mission. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that that 3,000 people came to Christ and were baptized. And it says in verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, say fellowship, and the koinonia to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And, they, and, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Throughout the series, we've talked about three main spiritual habits or spiritual disciplines that play as a conduit of God's grace into our life to form us more and more into Christ-likeness, to transform us. And the first one is hearing God's voice through his word. If you want to mature as a believer, if you want to see yourself grow this year in Christ, there's, there's got to be some spiritual discipline of hearing God's voice through his word. The second thing we've talked about is connecting with God's heart through prayer. You want to connect with the heart of God. You want to grow in your Christ-likeness. We need to uh, know that God is listening to us, and we can hear from God, and we connect God's heart with ours. And the third one that we're talking about today is uniting to God's purpose through fellowship. These spiritual habits, they're like the, the conduit by which God changes and transforms us. These, listen, these habits are not power within themselves, but are, they are the, the, the conduit by which the power of God flows through into our lives. Are you tracking with that? Flipping the switch doesn't generate power. Flipping the switch allows the power to flow. That is what these spiritual disciplines are about in our lives. And listen, I'm not saying that God loves you more when you do these things. But I am saying that without them, you're robbing yourself of experiencing the full love of Christ that he has for you already. And so we must be a people that say, I want to know God. And so we we talked about what kind of person do you want to become? What kind of man, what kind of woman is God calling you into? What ways is he shaping you and transforming you for his glory and your joy? Your freedom from temptation, your freedom from sin through the spirit and experiencing the fullness of God through Jesus Christ is directly connecting you placing yourself within the grace of God and spiritual disciplines. And so I have to ask this morning, What is your relationship with Christ worth to you? Has anyone ever asked that? What is the value in your relationship of knowing the fullness of Christ in your life? What weight does that carry for you? What is it worth? Let me ask you, would you be willing to Sacrifice 45 minutes of sleep to get up early, maybe 
opening God's word and hearing the voice for yourself? How about 30 minutes? How about 15 minutes? Would you be willing not to hit snooze just one time? Would you be willing not to just open the phone and go straight to social media, but instead go to a devotion or the word of God so that you could pray and get down on your knees and ask God to speak? Most would say, "Mm, it's not worth it. Would you be willing to forego one episode of your favorite favorite, uh, binge-worthy Netflix show? Even though you just watched six, would you be willing just to give up one? To go into your closet, fall before the throne of God and ask that he would hear you. Let me ask you, if you were offered maybe a a $1 an hour raise from your manager, Manager said, hey, I'll give you an extra dollar an hour if you were willing to work on Sundays. You know, forego worship, you know, don't meet with the church, don't gather together, but but a, a dollar an hour. Would you be willing? And so for you, the worth would be about $40 a week. Most people, most people just simply sell out. 15 more minutes of sleep sounds good to me. One more episode. That actually sounds delightful. I want to busy myself so I don't even have to think about my relationship with God. I'll actually work every Sunday just so I can have that extra Starbucks latte habit that I've been so accustomed to. Let me ask you, what impact would just one degree of change make in your spiritual life? Just one degree, just one thing, just one moment, just just one habit. Let me ask you, is Jesus worth it? You experiencing the fullness of Christ. Listen, we have to believe that the fullness of joy is found in Christ before we would be willing to sacrifice anything for him. We'd have to see that, that giving tithes and offerings is better than treasures on earth. We have to see that devoting our time and our heart and our minds and our souls and our spirituality to hearing his voice, listening to his ear, listening to his heart, connecting with God's people, we'd have to know that the fullness of Christ is found in that before we would be willing to do anything. Your spiritual habits determine what your hearts desire. Listen, not only do the Christians devote themselves to the word, the apostles' teaching, and to prayer and the breaking of bread and to fellowship. But their fellowship was in Jesus and their fellowship was in the spirit. But, but listen, this fellowship was no isolated commune. It, it, it was no static society. This, this fellowship was a partnership in the gospel. Uh, Philippians 1, it says it was, it was to advance the gospel, that they were standing together for the progress and faith in the gospel. Listen to Philippians 1:27. Paul, he, he's talking to the church and, and, he, and he says, listen, I want you to live, to live is actually Christ. And so he says in verse 27, he says, let, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or whether I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm. 
in one spirit. Say one spirit. I want you to be standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Say one mind. One spirit, one mind, striving side by side. Say side by side. Side by side for the faith of the gospel. You are one mind, one spirit, side by side for a particular purpose, and that is faith for the gospel. The same Jesus who joins us together by faith commissions us together by his spirit. The centerpiece of our unified relationship with Christ is the message of salvation in no other name other than Jesus. And the fellowship not only labors to, to reach the lost, but hear me, we labor to serve and to keep fellow saints from falling away. That is our purpose. Not only are we to proclaim the gospel to those outside of the church, outside of the body, but we are to proclaim the gospel to one another in order to keep us in the faith, to build up the body and to advance the good news of Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews, the author, he has two twin texts when it comes to Christian fellowship. They say almost the same things, but in a different way. And he writes to us, knowing that it is impossible to access the grace of God isolate as isolated uh, individuals. And so look at Hebrews 10, and we're going to pick it up in verse 24. And actually, right before that, he says, I want you to hold fast to the confession of your hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Say one another. One mind, one body, one spirit, one purpose, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now I want to pause right there because it amazes me how many churches and how many pastors and how many sermons I've heard that use this text to, to guilt people into coming to church? You ever heard that? Like, like Jesus loves a full house? No, preachers love a full house. Jesus loves a heart that is completely his. Jesus loves a heart that worships him in spirit and in truth. And so whether the house is full or empty, if there's one, it says that he looks to and fro through the whole land, seeking one heart that is completely his, that could be used by him to build up the body and advance the good news of Jesus to the world. It's remarkable to think about this text is that it's not emphasizing meeting together. But this text is emphasizing the instruction on what you do when you meet together. That we are to gather, that's not the point, but the point is that when you do gather, that you should look past your own nose into the needs of others. That is a partnership, it's a community, it's a fellowship. It's truly saying, listen, how can I consider 
another. Did you know that the word how in this original text uh, is not anywhere in the sentence? It actually reads, consider each other for love and good deeds. Consider each other. When you gather, that's not the point because you're gonna gather because that's fellowship. But when you gather, look past yourself into the needs of others. Consider one another. Interact with them. Exhort them. Inspire them to love and good deeds through the gospel. In fellowship, we have an opportunity to taste and see how how potent fellowship really means. We get to taste and experience the fellowship of God, not only between us and him through faith, through his spirit, but outpouring through the church. And so I'm going to tell you something. Maybe you've never heard this before, but every devoted believer in Jesus needs other believers in Jesus who knows them, not generally, who knows them, who will speak the truth in love to them, even when it's hard. Speak the truth in love with them. Remind them of God's word as such good for building up as it fits the occasion. That's Ephesians 4. And so you and I, as devoted believers, we need one another in fellowship. Hebrews 3. Look at the, look at the sister text here. Hebrews 3 in verse 12. The author, he reminds us, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but rather exhort one another. Say one another. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Listen, sin is deceitful. And the goal of a deceitful sin is a hardened heart. And the way that you and I fight against a hardened heart and the deceitfulness of sin is together, side by side, one mind, one spirit, one accord through the gospel. And that's the encouragement. Listen, take care, brothers. Help each other. Lift each other up. Help each other, leading, leading. Uh, if anyone, you see anyone, fall away from the living God, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold fast to our original confidence, firm to the end. Do you hear the power of fellowship in that text? This is what it says. It says that when, it, when you see someone struggling in their faith, the charge lands not on the drifting saint to somehow clean himself up and bring himself back, but rather the charge falls on the community, the body, one another that we need to have proximity with each other and an awareness of our brother or our sister regularly to be able to spot a drift, a hardened heart, a deceiving mind, a deceiving life. And we are to gather with that wayward saint and war with them against the sin that is so easily tempting. 
The charge is not laid on the spiritually weak to somehow muster their will, to somehow fix their discipline, but rather it's on the body to take the discipline of the Lord as the church, step into the purpose of fellowship that he's given us, and go after the wanderer in hopes that they would hear the good news. We are called to mediate grace to the struggler. And this text says that when we do, it prevents them from falling away. It prevents them from going astray. It allows us to put words of truth and grace in his open ear. And we pray that the spirit would make them alive, that open their eyes to make the lame walk and see the victory. And so as you pass through the valley of the shadow of death, the good shepherd comes and comforts us, does he not? But many times, God uses his people to act as his rod. The rod of rescue is the purpose that we've been called to. When the desire to hear God's voice and his word has dried up, when your spiritual energy is gone to connect with the heart of God through prayer, God sends his body to bring you back. I pray that we'd be that body. This is why uniting with God's purpose through fellowship is so priceless and so valuable. It's more valuable than sleep. It's more valuable than work. It's more valuable than the show. It's more valuable than entertainment. It's more valuable than food. It's more valuable than anything we could ever imagine because this is what keeps us running the race. It keeps us strong and strengthened in times of despair. The healthy Christian, introverted or not, seeks not to minimize the relationship that they have with fellow believers, but actually maximize them. God has given each of us the church, hear me, not just for company, not just to remedy your loneliness. He's given us a church not just to give people a religious hobby, maybe an outlet to feel good, but rather he's given us a church to be for each other an indispensable means of our growth in him. If you're taking notes, write this one down. The deepest, most durable form of fellowship is when we unite with one another within a local church. You know, when we make commitments as members or partners, we give the truest conditions that allows God to move toward our spiritual growth and flourishing. Because listen, believe it or not, you are made for more than private devotions. Now, that was one talk we had a couple weeks ago, devoting yourself to the word, getting yourself in so that you can hear the voice of God and getting ourselves into prayer and connecting with the heart of God. But believe it or not, God uses those things to overflow through us and he's made us and created us not just for our private devotions, but for our outward reflections and outward worship with one another. We were made to worship Jesus together. It's a beautiful picture of how God set it up. 
And we were made to worship Jesus among the magnificent multitude of the redeemed. From every tribe and every tongue and every language and every nation standing before Jesus and crying out with one mind, one heart, one voice, salvation belongs to God and he who sits on the throne, the lamb. That is our cry. That is what we are united to do. And so listen, developing a spiritual discipline or habit of corporate worship, it may be the most important means of God's grace and the greatest weapon you have to fight for your joy. Eric, are you just trying to grow the church? No, I'm asking the Spirit of God to convict our hearts for all the ways that we just gather and not participate. Only corporate worship combines all three spiritual disciplines, the word and prayer and fellowship. It is when we gather in the name of Jesus that his promise is to be present with his voice, with his heart, and with his body. This is what God has called us to. The greatest tragedy in the history of mankind is met with the greatest invitation of God toward men. You and I, the Bible says that we have a bent of iniquity. It says that we've all gone astray, like like sheep who've wandered away from the flock. God is completely worthy. God is completely holy. God is completely right. God is completely good. And God is completely just. And he has created you and I in his image for fellowship with him. That we would know God, that we would enjoy God, that we would love God, that we would worship God. Not because God is simply up there saying, I need to be worshiped, because he knows that his creation made in his image would need an outlet for worship. And that nothing of this world, nothing of this life, this temporary world that we live in could satisfy the eternity that is written on our hearts. And so he's created us for loving him, enjoying him, and worshiping him. And you and I, the greatest belittlement of our creator God has basically said, no thank you. I don't want you, God. I want your stuff. I don't want you, God. I want to find my own way. I don't want you, God. I want to try and find life outside of you, joy outside of you. And so I'm going to worship things outside of you, hoping that I would be fulfilled. And this is the great blasphemy of mankind. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned. We've all walked out. We've all betrayed. We are an adulterous people. And in the end, it leads us to shame and guilt and brokenness. And God says, outside of me is nothing but death. Your sin deserves death. And the wrath of God will be poured out upon sin. But the greatest news that you and I could ever hear and receive is the fact that God being rich in mercy does not leave us in our sin, but sends Jesus. Why Jesus? 
Why couldn't we just be religious enough? Why couldn't we just be honorable enough? Why couldn't we do just simply enough things? Because you and I deserve death. We need someone who doesn't deserve death to come and be death for us. We need someone to come and absorb the wrath of God who doesn't deserve it so all of those who believe who do deserve it would be made righteous. And Jesus lived the perfect life that we could not live. And he died the death that you and I deserve to die, absorbing the wrath of God towards sin and sinners upon the cross once and for all time. So that whoever would come, whoever would believe in his name shall be saved and reunited back to God to know him, to love him, and to worship him forever and ever And so today, in our fellowship, we have an opportunity to respond to this great message by faith, not only through confessing our sins to God, asking him to wash us and cleanse us and to take all of our sin and gift us his righteousness, but we get to display that through something we do in the fellowship called communion. We get to come and again be reminded of the body that was broken and the blood that was shed, reuniting us back to God. But now, not only that, we get to unite with the body as we take it together. As we come by the grace of God to the altar, we look to Jesus. Not only does communion remind us of our union with Jesus and his atoning sacrifice, but our union with fellow believers here at the table. We have an opportunity by God's grace to hear his voice saying, it's finished. We have an opportunity at the table to connect with the Savior's heart saying, I love you. I died for you. And at the table, we have an opportunity to unite with him and others within the body. Today, we get to receive a fresh response to the gospel by faith. We're asking God to knit our hearts together in purposeful fellowship as we come to his table. Through the bread and the cup, we look not only to the past and we remember what he's done and not only to the present and our growing union with him, but also to the future where the fullness of feast will come where we get to sit at the wedding supper of the Lamb. I'm going to close as the band comes with 1 Corinthians 11. Paul, he writes to the church and he says, I, I don't think you're really understanding communion. And so he gives them some instructions and he reminds them of what it's all about. In 1 Corinthians 11:23, he says, For what I received from the Lord, I also deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. And he said, this is the new covenant of my blood. This is the the blood that unites us together. 
A covenant is a commitment. God says, I'll make a commitment with my people. And I'm going to seal it with the blood of my son. And Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Listen to it. Until he comes in fellowship, in koinonia, when we gather under his word to hear his voice, and we gather in prayer to connect with his heart, we also gather and unite with his purpose as we join with the saints to take the remembering sacrifice of Jesus. And it is only by Jesus that we have purpose. And it is only through Jesus that we are forgiven. And so listen, as you approach the table today, you don't have to be, you know, a member or a partner or, or, or a part of a denomination. But, but the Bible says that you must examine yourself. What is the prerequisite to come to the table? Well, examine yourself. Are you in the faith? Have you truly believed upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Are you still trying to, to earn some favor or earn some merit before God on your own religious behavior? Because if that's the case, then, then this body and this blood, it must mean nothing. But if you've received Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul by faith, then we invite you today, come. Come and remember. Come and be reminded. Come and look to the unity of the body in Jesus alone. Will you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, there is no greater treasure than your Son, Jesus. There's no greater gift that we could receive than the merciful forgiveness of our sins. Jesus, today, we acknowledge that you who knew no sin became sin so that in you, we, the body, the church, can take our place as the righteousness of God. Today, God, as we approach your table and partake of the body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed for us, we do it with self-examination, knowing that you are the king who rules and reigns and sits on the throne. We do not come loosely or lightly. We come in light of your perfect sacrifice and your plan under the fullness of time to unite all things back to you. Jesus, today, we ask by your spirit, you would unite us as one body, partners in the gospel, 
with one mind, one body, one spirit, looking to advance the gospel and build up one another for your glory. Lord Jesus, come. Spirit, come. Make yourself known today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have...